Maximize Your Influence is your podcast for the latest persuasion, sales, and negotiation techniques. Our mission is to help you influence on command, anyone, anytime, anywhere. Your host is the author of Persuasion IQ, Laws of Charisma, and the best-selling book, Maximum Influence. Now, your host, Kurt Mortensen. Welcome back, Maximizers, as we talk about how to maximize your income, your success, your relationships, every aspect of your life. This is Maximize Your Influence. Kurt Mortensen here. This is episode 339. As we take a deep dive into how metaphors increase influence, who knew that metaphors and similes, the way we talk, that verbal packaging can change the way you influence and persuade without detection, persuade and influence beneath the radar. Because the moment they sense that you're trying to persuade them, even though they need it, want it, like it, and can afford it, they're going to resist you. So a key aspect is to help them persuade themselves, and they shouldn't notice that you're trying to persuade them because that causes instant resistance. So hope you're having a good week and things are going well for you. It's nice things that are opening up with all this coronavirus scare. Hey, did go out, did some social distancing on the lake, did a little I call lake therapy. If you've been on the podcast before, you know that I love wakeboarding, wake surfing. We call it lake therapy, do it with the family, a lot of fun. It was good to get out, get some sun, get in the water. I'll have to admit the water was a little cold, but hey, it didn't matter. Getting on the water is kind of the signal to start a summer and kind of just felt like things were getting a little bit back to normal, just a little bit as we try to figure out what that new normal is going to be. Let's kick it off today with the blunder of the week. Homer? Don't, don't, don't! Well, now that the restaurants are opening up, I've had a colleague that I've known for a while. I wouldn't say they're the best of friends, but they're someone that I know has been wanting to do lunch, hang out, talk about this new thing they're doing, this new opportunity. And like, all right, I'll, I'll meet with you. They're buying lunch. Hey, why not a free lunch? And then it sit down. We got the food. And it was the MLM network marketing pitch. Now, a little disclaimer here. I'm not against network marketing. I think it's a great opportunity for many to become very successful. In fact, just thinking about in my network, there's probably 10 people that I know personally very well that have made them over a million dollars in network marketing. So I think it's a great business opportunity. It's a great way to make money if you treat it like a business, meaning you have to market, you have to learn persuasion, you have to learn just basic business skills. Too many people get into it and they try it out for a few weeks and say it doesn't work or they tell Uncle Frank and Uncle Frank, well, that's dumb. It's a pyramid scheme and they run away and never do it again. So the disclaimer is I'm all for it. I've seen a lot of people very successful in network marketing, but then there's a high cheese, high lactose factor where, yeah. Now, the first challenge was it was kind of a bait and switch. I thought we were just eating, catching up, doing a few things, but no, it was the pitch and the vomit and there it came, all the vomiting. And, and the thing was, they were really passionate about it, but they were vomiting. And all these big words that I'll have to admit, I didn't get half the words they were talking about. It was a nutritional health type network marketing company and a lot of big words about health and about the body and things that are happening. And of course, nobody says, well, what's that word mean? I don't get it. They're just so excited about it. They vomit all these big words. And then of course, here comes the comp plan on the napkin, I'm like, okay, draw me some circles. Now, first of all, 
Drawing circles is a bad association trigger. Too many people have done it. It doesn't work out. And second of all, last time I did research, it was about almost 90% of the people, when you explained a compensation plan to them, they didn't get it. They didn't understand it. Of course, they didn't tell you that. They pretended to understand and said, oh, that's cool. That's nice. Most people don't get it. And write this one down. Put it in your brain. A confused mind says no. So that is the blunder done in the wrong way. I mean, there was potential there. I could have done it, maybe thought about at least help him grow his business. But it was done in the wrong way with the vomit and the big words and the comp plan. And that's one of the key things to take away from this is that they were so passionate about it, which is good. I love that people are passionate about it. But sometimes with our passion, we data dump, we vomit, we talk about things that people don't get, they don't understand, and they get confused and they run away because a confused mind says no. So that is the blunder of the week. And that brings us to our weekly geekly scholarly article. Is it geekly, geeky, one of those? Anyway, this comes from Preeta Shah, University of Michigan. Oh boy! And I've talked about this before that I'm doing a lot of online webinars. I'm testing out Zoom and Skype and Adobe Connect and a few other platforms. And I mentioned that it just seems like it takes so much more energy. You have to teach more content that I'm not a big fan of the online. I would much rather be face-to-face. It seems like it's simpler, it's easier. And I couldn't figure out why using Zoom, A, the meetings last longer, and B, it takes, what, two, three times the energy, which is crazy. Some of the Zooms I'm doing, I'm standing up in front of the whiteboard, but some of these online presentations, I'm just sitting in my lazy boy, that's my office chair of choice, showing PowerPoints and talking, but it still seems to take a lot more energy. And so they did a little research called Zoom Fatigue about how you have to give your brain a break. So they talked about that many people stay connected with coworkers, family, and friends using Zoom. Of course, it could be Skype. There's other platforms here. It's part of the whole social distancing thing and that coronavirus pandemic that we're still trying to figure out who's telling us the truth on that one. There's these frequent, long virtual meetings, especially for work. And he says it's hard on the brain. It taxes the brain. It causes what's called Zoom fatigue. So he takes a deeper dive on what causes this fatigue. He says these meetings are more demanding cognitively or mentally than face-to-face meetings. Because when you're face-to-face, you rely on a lot of visual cues. It's easy to tell if people are paying attention. It's easy to tell when someone wants to speak. And we can tell, we can feel in the room whether they agree or disagree, and we can adapt. But in a Zoom meeting... It's more challenging to read people. We don't know, are they following along? Are they bored? Are they engaged? Do they agree? It's hard to tell about eye contact, especially if you turn off their camera. Because in a room, we can see the eye gaze. We can see these cues. We can see people nodding and raising their hands, but we don't get that online as much as we want. And it takes extra effort to scan through all the people and see what they're doing. And again, half the cameras are probably turned off. And there's even more of a delay in a reaction of what you're doing, what you're saying, and the reactions that you get, especially with that internet delay. So all these factors, you just put them together, we constantly have to think about things that normally would be fairly automatic. Not to mention there are distractions. There's your distractions, the phone ringing, the cell phone buzzing, someone knocking at your door, or in my case, your kid's pounding on the door, Dad, Dad, your door's locked when you're in the middle of a webinar. There's the appearance of your room, pets running around, someone walking in the background in their underwear. 
Your email's dinging, you want to respond. We all know, and I'll tell this as 100%, sustaining attention is harder when there's all these things happening and you're trying to avoid these distractions. Even for me, I live on a relatively quiet street, but a loud car, an ice cream truck, a police car, a fire truck, all these things, all these noises can be picked up on my microphone and that can be disruptive. And another thing too, in face-to-face meetings, there's usually a gap between the previous meeting and the next one. It gives you little time to kind of regroup, think about your thoughts, what are you going to say next? But a lot of these Zoom meetings occur back-to-back and are taxing on your, what they call your attentional system. And that leads to stress, distracting thoughts, poor sleep quality, and you just cannot pay attention as much. And then the other fact, this technology is not 100% reliable. We lose internet connection. We get cut off. Someone else's internet connection is bad and they're breaking in and out. makes it very distracting. They have to repeat what's being discussed, what was going on. They have to log back in. You have to catch that person up. We have to wait for people to access the documents. They didn't get the download. They didn't get the email. How do you share screens? How do you do chat? How do you figure this thing out? It disrupts the flow of meetings. I mean, being in a room, it's done. We know how to do that. But Zoom technology, any of this technology takes some time for us to learn and get used to. And the one that I hate the most is silence. Oh, you ask a question, silence? Does that mean people are muted? Are they talking? Are they just muted and don't care? Are they stumped? They didn't get it? They didn't understand? Those could all be a challenge. It's very hard. I noticed with university courses online, especially on Zoom, you can get some people to raise their hand, but that interaction, that silence, getting people to participate, just ballparking here, I would say you get one-tenth the interaction than you get face-to-face. And then what's even worse is you can see yourself. See, when you're in a meeting, you can't see yourself. You're like, oh, my hair's the best. Am I smiling? Like, mean, I have RBF. <laughs> Look it up if you don't know what that one means. Can they see my background? Can they see the dirt on the floor? <laughs> Whatever it is. We're looking at ourselves, which is very, very distracting. So if you're going to do these Zoom meetings, you got to have the participation. You got to have an agenda. You got to make sure they have the relevant documents. You've got to make sure people participate, make them participate. Meaning when you ask that first question, you have to wait for the answer. You have to let them know up front, set the expectations. Say, look, everyone has to answer the question via chat or face-to-face. This is what we're doing. This is how it's set up. Your camera must be on. Whatever rules you want to set up, you need to do it ahead of time. And maybe there's a shared document to keep everyone on the same page to make sure it happens. Also be careful of the chit chat ahead of time. I mean, that's good, but a lot of people get tired of that. Be careful of that one. And also be careful of setting too many of these meetings. Here's the rule, and I love this rule. If it can be done in an email, don't schedule the meeting. So pretty simple. Take breaks between Zoom meetings. Don't do them back to back. We need a little bandwidth. We need a brain to recuperate. Maybe personally separate work and non-work. There's certain areas where you do your Zoom calls, you do your work in certain areas where you relax. Maybe even wear different clothes. I just noticed the other day, just putting on a tie for a Zoom call just was kind of refreshing. So wearing different clothes, dressing up. I mean, I still have shorts on, but the top half of me does look good. I have a little suit jacket on and a tie. If you're feeling a little fatigue, short walk, fresh air, little sunshine, little caffeine, little sugar might help you out. This is something I've been focusing on. I know here in about two or three weeks, I have to do a two-day presentation. So eight hours a day for two days on Zoom. How do you do that? So I'm working on shifting gears. 
So what I have is three computers, three microphones, three cameras. I have a whiteboard on one computer, PowerPoint on another, just general talking on another computer. So I'm doing PowerPoint. We're doing group exercises. We have case studies, keeping people on their toes. I'm telling you, it's tougher. It takes a lot more energy as a presenter and a participant, and you have to factor that in. We think it's easier. We're at home hanging out, but it's not. Your energy level has to be up. You have to shift gears probably every 10 minutes from a chat to a question to a group exercise, whatever it is, switch it up. And you have to realize there's going to be some lame people that don't mute. There's background noise. I don't want to tell you some of the things that I've heard online through Zoom or Skype where people are doing things. Yeah, I just leave it at that. Make sure that doesn't happen. Maybe you want someone to mute people out, have someone else in the background that's monitoring questions in chat, that's up to you. But that is, it takes more energy and bandwidth, both for the presenter and the attendee. Just throwing it out there, finally found the study on it. That's what's going on. That's the challenge. Again, I don't know what the new normal is. I'm sure there's gonna be a lot more webinars and things that are online, training online and meetings that are online. Who knows what the new normal will hold, but I guarantee you there will be more online meetings and take this one to heart as an attendee and as a presenter so you can go out there and be more influential and more engaging. So let's dive into the content today. I want to talk more about metaphors and similes. Now, both these are power persuasion tools. And both similes and metaphors are used to make comparisons. And the difference between a simile and a metaphor comes down to a word. Similes, you can remember the word similar, uses the word like to compare things. Life is like a box of chocolates. All right, probably didn't sound like Forrest Gump, but life is like a box of chocolates. Now, on the opposite side, metaphors directly state a comparison. Love is a battlefield. So you're using both these to compare different items, and they're very, very persuasive. In fact, when we were doing research for laws of charisma, and they were looking at presidents and charismatic presidents, and they found that charismatic presidents and just charismatic people in general used nearly twice as many metaphors than those who weren't charismatic. And they found that speeches with metaphors are judged as more inspirational to the audience. And it's something we don't normally use. If we don't think about it sometimes, we have to understand metaphors and why they are so important. They are very important to use when people just don't get it. They're confused. They don't understand it. You're dealing with a very complicated issue. Metaphors just make it sound simple. You can also use metaphors and similes when people get stuck on an objection. Or if you want to make something really memorable they're going to remember, use a metaphor. And it's important because we have short attention spans, shorter than ever before. And most people have this fear of change and we have too many choices and metaphors just simplify that process. You have to understand how our brain works. Our brains are wired for images. We are very visual people. In fact, most of the bandwidth in our brain is to handle our eyes in gathering visual information. And what a metaphor does is it creates an image out of your words. Remember, our brains are wired for image. And these metaphors create images in our brains out of the words you're using. And these images trigger emotions. And we all know, we've talked about it before, emotions are what persuade. In fact, one interesting study found that Images are processed 60,000 times, 60,000 times faster than processing text. And we know that retention increases 65% when you create or use an image. 
When I say it's like driving around in first gear with your emergency brake on and you're wondering why you're not successful, creates an image and a picture that makes sense. In fact, the Journal of Brain Research found that these metaphors make our brains get a little touchy-feely. They were doing MRIs on people and using metaphors. Things like, she had a rough day. What happens, your brain activates the tactile areas, and so you have a tactile experience. When you say, she had a rough day, she's so sweet. And it makes it easier to grasp a concept. And so our brain processes metaphors and other types of languages in ways that just, just sticks better. It helps us understand in an easier way. In fact, they did a study with people. They gave them a metaphor, talked about grasp the idea or bend the rules. And the participants saw three different sentences on the computer screen, one word at a time. And one sentence described a concrete action such as the bodyguard bent the rod. Another one was a metaphor with the same verb, the church bent the rules. And the third sentence was a little more abstract, the church altered the rules. But when the participants saw the word bent used in a metaphor, it invoked a similar response in the brain. Within 200 milliseconds, when they saw the verb on the screen, felt that feeling, it was easier to retain And later on in the study, they were easier to persuade. So you can use metaphoric language to persuade, to improve people's moods, to persuade below the radar. I mean, we use it around temperature, boiling mad, chill out, cool, an icy stare. I'm hot, baby, cold as ice. Those are things that just illustrate how powerful this can be. A bubbly personality. The speech touched many people. Then there's the whole sight thing. Feeling blue, light up my life, shades of gray. Can you shed a little more light on what you're talking about? You see what we're doing here? Just creates that image, that picture. Even taste. Bittersweet memories. Yeah, we ended on a sour note. You've got great taste. Man, that outfit is spicy. Give me a little sugar. Or you tell someone to give you a little sugar, whatever it is. I mean, taste, even smell. Love stinks. The sweet smell of success. So it's simple. Think about how can you simplify what you're talking about? Similes are probably the easiest way to do it. Metaphors are great. Similes are a little bit easier because you just use the word like or as. So think about those moments where things are complicated, people aren't getting it. How can you come up with a great simile? You know, not having a personal development program is like having a bucket with a hole in it. This home alarm system is like having a police officer at your door 24 hours a day. Visitors and fish are about the same. They both start to smell after three days. You see where we're going with this? Their handshake felt like warm laundry. Eh, I don't know about that one. But anyway, it creates that picture. They were about as awesome as a flying giraffe. (laughs) Blood seeped out of the wound like red teardrops. The flowers were as soft as thoughts as budding love. She went like snow in the springtime on a sunny hill. (laughs) Okay, some cheesy, high lactose there. But I wanted you to just kind of get a feel for these similes, these metaphors. Create something that can make a huge difference. Your job is to get them to visualize what you want them to do. Here's the bottom line. If your prospect, the person you're trying to persuade, whoever it is, If they can't see themselves doing it, if they can't visualize it, if you can't create the imagery for them, they're not going to do it. 
If they can't see themselves doing it mentally, it's not going to happen physically. Bottom line, end of story, that's how it is. Create that simile, create the metaphor, that example, whatever it is to illustrate that point, to help them visualize it, that's what you become persuasive because these images are connected with emotions and emotions are what persuade. You have to help your prospect do that. That's why when you go to places like Ikea, they don't just have pictures. You've got to walk through the maze. You've got to see the furniture. You've got to see it built because our minds sometimes just can't do it. That's why homes that have furniture sell better than the homes that don't because we're just having a hard time visualizing it. I'm telling you, metaphors, similes, examples, this is a power persuasion tool you can implement, you can use right now, especially when you're in a point of your presentation, they get confused or they get stuck on an objection or when you want to make something more memorable, they're going to remember metaphors and similes are power. Use them. It makes a huge difference. So that's our content for the day. Thanks for being here. Make sure you visit our YouTube channel, Maximize Your Influence, where I supersize something on the podcast to give you a little more umph so you can persuade on command. You can also find us on YouTube, Spotify, and iHeart under Maximize Your Influence. Please tell your family, friends, and enemy. Hit like, hit subscribe, whatever you need to do. Get the message out that persuasion and influence is the key to your success. And as always, visit MaximizeYourInfluence.com to send me an email if you want certain content on the show. And remember, when I use your email on the show, you get free access to InfluenceUniversity.com. And MaximizeYourInfluence.com is also the place to get my new edition of Maximum Influence. Pick up a little shipping and handling. Take your free Persuasion IQ assessment. Check out our advanced training. Whatever you need, that's the place. MaximizeYourInfluence.com. Take something you learned today. Think of a metaphor. Think of a simile. Think of something that can help you persuade with power.